Welcome to episode 15 of Continuous Quality Compliance. Today I'm talking about Regulation 13, Safeguarding Service Users from Abuse and Improper Treatment. Safeguarding is looked at under the key line of inquiry, SAFE, and they also ask you to attach a safeguarding policy when you do your application, so it is really important. Safeguarding is used to define actions which are taken to protect vulnerable groups from harm. This harm might come from adults or other children. And as someone working closely with vulnerable groups, it's important you understand what safeguarding is and why it's important. And that's the definition that's used in the overarching regulation. If you do look after children, or even if it's children accompanying an adult, part of the safeguarding process is identifying and protecting children suffering from or likely to suffer from significant harm. All children are covered by child protection and safeguarding guidance and legislation. To find where your safeguarding board is, every council has a safeguarding team, so that's where you need to have a look and the inspectors would be looking for you to have at least a flow chart of all the numbers of how you get in touch with the appropriate people, how you do the referrals, etc, etc. A vulnerable adult is defined as a person who, for any reason, may be unable to take care of themselves or protect themselves against significant harm or exploitation. And safeguarding means that uh, vulnerable adults reducing or preventing the risk of significant harm to the vulnerable adult by safeguarding them. And this could be from neglect, it could be from abuse. Um, it means that you're also helping them to support um, and maintain control of their own lives. Sometimes people think that safeguarding could only be to do with people who, or adults who lack capacity. That isn't the case. Adults with, with full capacity can still be considered vulnerable if they are unable to take care of themselves or protect themselves from significant harm. Therefore, safeguarding training is obviously vital when working with vulnerable groups as it helps to ensure that your employees can carry out their duties in a knowledgeable and safe way. What are CQC looking for? They're looking to see that you have processes in place to ensure that if safeguarding comes up, all your staff know what to do. CTC says they're looking for systems and processes to be established and operated effectively to prevent abuse of service users. So you must also have systems and processes which are established and operated effectively to investigate immediately that you become aware of safeguarding issue and that you look at any allegation or evidence of such abuse and obviously you should have forms that your staff have to complete so that's a record of the safeguarding issue that's come up and it's made and it's looked at by the relevant person in the organisation. It also means that the care or treatment for service users must not be provided in a way that means that you're discriminating against them in reference to the Equality Act 2010. 
and the treatment shouldn't be degrading. In terms of the word abuse, it's quite a generic term, isn't it? So for the purposes of the regulation, this is what it says. A, any behaviour towards a service user that is offensive under the Sexual Offences Act 2003. B, uh, ill treatment, whether it's physical or psychological nature of a service user. C, theft, misuse or misappropriation of money or property belonging to a service user. D, neglect of a service user. And also they're looking at if you've if a service user has been threatened or force been used. To meet the requirements of the regulation, providers should have a zero, zero tolerance approach to abuse and unlawful discrimination. What they're looking for is that providers have robust procedures and processes to prevent people using the service from being abused by staff or other people they may have contact with when they're using the service. It also means that if you're given treatment that significantly disregards their needs too. So that's why it's so important to make sure you meet the needs of the person and their preferences. When you do suspect any form of abuse and it is discovered or it is reported by a third party, then obviously they're looking for the provider to have taken appropriate action without delay and the action they must take includes investigation or referral to the appropriate body and it doesn't matter whether the third party is internal or external to the provider so that's important to know. CQC can actually prosecute for a breach of some parts of this regulation in particular parts um, 13.1 and 34 of regulation 13. and they don't have to give a warning notice so it means if they find out that there has been a safeguarding issue uh, breach in respects of those parts of the regulation and they find out and they do their own investigation um, they can prosecute without giving you notice there are three levels of training so it's really worth knowing which level of training all your staff need different Grades of staff will probably need different levels of safeguarding training. So level one is safeguarding awareness, so that's the basic training. Level two is advanced safeguarding training. Um, and it's usually the one that uh, is recommended if you're doing a regulated activity. Level three is for those who are designated the lead for the organisation. So they're usually in a measurement role such as the registered management. CQC are also looking at um, that safeguarding is part of your induction. So staff must receive safeguarding training that is relevant and at a suitable level for their role. Training also needs to be updated at appropriate intervals and should keep staff up to date and enable them to recognise different types of abuse and the ways they can report concerns. Staff should also be aware of their individual responsibilities to prevent, identify and report abuse when they are providing care and treatment.
Staff also have to understand their roles and associated responsibilities in relation to the policies and procedures of the organisation. They should have access uh, to the information that they need. So obviously management art always going to be present, so staff should know what to do and it should be easily accessible. So I usually say have a flow diagram in a staff room area with what to do, for which type of incident, who to contact, etc. They're looking for providers to use incidents and complaints to identify potential abuse and to take preventative actions. And if it was something really major, they'd be looking for escalation where appropriate. And again, you have to work within the requirements of the Mental Capacity Act. So to recap, Providers and staff must know and understand the local safeguarding policy and procedures and the actions they need to take in response to suspicions and allegations of abuse. No matter who raises the concern or who the alleged abuser may be, these include timescales for action and the local arrangements for investigation. Staff also must be aware of and how to access current procedures and guidance for raising and responding to concerns of abuse. Staff should also have access to support from line management when considering how to respond to concerns of abuse. Managers and staff must understand their individual responsibilities to respond to concerns about abuse when providing care and treatment, including investigating concerns. And lastly, providers should make sure that staff are kept up to date about changes to national and local safeguarding arrangements. Remember, if you are thinking of making a CTC application, you can buy my book on Amazon. It's called Outstanding and it has all five star reviews. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review the podcast. Do subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes.